Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. Today on the show, Bob Iger and Ron DeSantis, their showdown is exploding like an animatronic dragon. And we'll talk about the high school senior who secured more than $9 million in college scholarships. We'll also talk about how Zuck has once again righted the ship at Meta, then tell you why you'll be hearing the words debt ceiling a whole lot more going forward. Neil, it's Thursday, April 27th. Let's ride. So if you're watching this on YouTube, then you already know the biggest news of the day, which is that Toby has dyed his hair blonde. Not only that, but it actually looks good. Like, on unironically, it works for you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. So I literally did this yesterday evening and they put a toner in your hair so to make sure it doesn't turn kind of that orangey color that you sometimes get if you bleach your hair. But it also makes my hair like really white and kind of gray right now. So it will settle down a little bit. I look a little old. Right. It's like that Snapchat filter that makes you look 70. But so and walking to work this morning, I got a what up Slim Shady. Wait, really? Yeah. This happens so much. Wait, you've done this before. I did it. I did it last year and you will not believe the amount of people who start calling me Slim Shady. So how long are you going to be blonde for? (sighs) The foreseeable future. As long as the temperature stays in the mid 60s to 70s, Summer Toby has been activated. That's All right, that means say. it's summer for the rest of us. There we go. It's officially, it's like Groundhog Day for yeah. summer. Everyone check out YouTube to, to see what he looks like. Yes, um, exactly. Okay, Neil, let's jump into our stories. Neil, there are three constants in life, death, taxes, and never, ever bet against Zuck when he's back against the wall. Yesterday, meta earnings came out, and it was pretty much good from top to bottom. After three straight quarters of falling revenue last year, revenue actually jumped 3% year over year. Facebook also gained users after losses last year. And time spent on Reels jumped 20% thanks to a couple of tweaks to the algorithm powered by, what else, AI. And here's the crazy part. Its metaverse division was actually pro- Just kidding. (laughs) I was about to like jump over there and tackle you. Its metaverse division (laughs) hemorrhaged money. Reality Labs, which is what put the meta in metaverse uh, lost nearly $4 billion last quarter. So it wasn't all good, but that was to be expected. So overall, clearly a step in the right direction. And what do we say, Neil? Don't bet against us. Zuck. Wow. He just like over, you know, he found out this in what, 2004? And there have been so many ups and downs and threats to the company. And he just keeps chugging along. Uh, It's pretty impressive, honestly. The year of efficiency is going great. That's been Zuck's kind of drumbeat. And investors have kind of rallied behind this idea that we're going to trim down the company, make sure headcount is not too high and just focus yeah. on the things that matter. Yeah, the, the stock was up 12% after earnings to a 14-month high. L- last year, they lost two-thirds of their value. And then this year, they were up 74% before this earnings report. So they're up another 12%. Right. So he investors are loving what Zuck is doing. Shares are up 164% from their November 2022 level. Yeah. I, I feel like that's crazy that people are kind of glossing on the fact like Meta's 
a half a trillion dollar company, more than that now, and it's up 164% this year. Like it shrank a lot last year. Right. I know. Well, what do you want to talk about? There's like the ad growth back. There's reels, maybe reels. I do think I want to talk about reels because that has been, they're very happy on the comp, how competitive it's been with, with TikTok so far, because for a while people were kind of like, eh, they were a little lukewarm on it. But like we said, time spent on reels has jumped and they are attributing it to this better algorithm powered by AI. Who knows how much that's actually true. I think they just want to talk about AI powering some part of their platform, but it's clearly heading in the right direction. I mean, when you, I go on reels, I forget whether it's reels or TikTok. It has been better for sure. It used to just be TikTok. Like, yeah copy and paste but now we're seeing a little bit more original content for so sure. reels is doing great for them it's really competing with tiktok and that's important to get users there because then they can sell ads against reels uh mm-hmm. you, because advertisers can be like should i put it on tiktok should i put my ad on reels and before it was you know i definitely go with tiktok and now they might see higher engagement in reels and say okay maybe i'll put it there we should also talk about ai And so uh, Zuck was like, AI will impact every single aspect of our business and our apps and services. And he wants to introduce what he calls AI agents to billions of people in ways that will be useful and meaningful. Some examples of that could be customer service chatbots for businesses on Messenger or WhatsApp, creating ads that are more effective, which is, I'm I'm sure he's very keen on that. And then also creating games for the metaverse and virtual reality. So he's pretty bullish. It makes sense. There are synergies there. But I do want to put just a couple of there weren't it wasn't all all good news. So one of the big things that stood out to me was that people are posting less in less on Instagram and less on Facebook. So creation of Instagram stories were running about 10% below company expectations, which I feel like anecdotally makes sense. Like for a while now, we've we've kind of known that people are using these legacy social media platforms a little less, especially young people. So seeing that stories number go down, which is Mm. typically the big engagement driver on all of uh, Meta's platforms is kind of a little concerning. And then also we have to talk about the fact that Facebook is still just absolutely the workhorse. It generates the the lion's share of revenue still. And the fact that Facebook engagement is going down a little bit makes yeah. Zuck a little bit nervous. Definitely not out of the woods. So they're still betting on the metaverse. And Zuck was like, I've, I've been hearing all of you guys talk about us focusing on AI instead of the metaverse. And he goes, a narrative has developed that we're somehow moving away from focusing on the metaverse vision. And I just want to say up front that that's not ac- accurate. We've been focusing on AI and the metaverse for years now. So it seems like they're shoring up their core apps and still plowing untold billions into the metaverse. And yeah. he's still, you know, very you know optimistic that they can build the metaverse even though it's a, it's a huge money sink right now they lost four billion dollars in three months i mean I, I can't do that let's let's just uh, remember our advice do not bet against suck maybe he'll probably figure it out he tends to do so he tends to do that all right let's move on to disney so disney and florida governor ron DeSantis have been feuding for a while now but yesterday the company said Enough was enough and went completely nuclear. They sued DeSantis, accusing him of a targeted campaign of government retaliation that violated its First Amendment rights to say anything it wants. So Disney said, in America, the government cannot punish you for speaking their mind, your mind. And he, the company also said that DeSantis's campaign against it has harmed its business operations, its economic future in central Florida, and was also unconstitutional. So how did he get here? What is Disney even talking about? Well, it all started last year 
when Disney came out against DeSantis's so-called don't say gay law, that barred discussion of gender identity and sexual orientation in the elementary school. That ticked off DeSantis, who revoked Disney's special status that allowed it to self-govern the area around Disney World that it's had since 1967. But then Disney also had a few trucks up, up its sleeve, and without DeSantis knowing, at the last minute, it made this legal maneuver that essentially helped it pow keep power in the district. <laughs> then DeSantis moved to undo that legal maneuver and then Disney sued. So that's kind of how we got here. It's been a little crazy, but this is a dramatic escalation by taking DeSantis to court. It is wild. There is so much drama going on. It reminds me of the Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell drama that's currently going on. If you understand that reference, then I got a, gr I got a big education in that this morning. Congrats. You're terminally online. But yeah, Neil, I, there's been so many back and forth. Like you, you just explained it all. Like it's been tit for tat yeah. going back and forth. And this actually does, it's not just a petty feud. Like there's obviously wider implications on the line, especially presidential race implications because the, the worst kept secret is that DeSantis is gearing up for a presidential run. So you, you had Trump weighing in on true social saying, he literally said, this is all so unnecessary, a political stunt, stunt in all capitals, right. classic Trump. Because Disney, the, the fact that Florida and Disney are feuding right now is would blow anybody's mind who's lived over the past 50 and 60 years because Disney is the nation's largest single site employer. They, like, run Florida's economy. Right. It's so the fact that you're going to war against this company that's employing, like, 75,000 people work at Disney World. Ca cast members. Cast no, members, cast sorry. Members. And they get 50 million visitors globally who come to Disney World. It's It's been perplexing to even DeSantis' allies and other Republicans why he's attacking this this company over something that they you know mildly criticized him over right because again florida is supposed to be pro-business desantis is supposed to be pro-business and here's the biggest business right. in florida that you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with so it does feel like maybe at the beginning it was this rallying cry for supporters like desantis doesn't right. back down from anyone but now everyone's like all right ron <laughs> like what what are we doing here and then you have bob Iger, the ceo of disney who's saying look you're threatening future investment in the state we're planning on spending 13 billion billion dollars to build more hotels and another theme park and you lo look like why would I want to do this in Florida if I'm just gonna you know be you're basically working with your mortal enemy yeah Disney is great for Florida and here's the thing that I thought was so interesting that I didn't know is that the special district has been at the heart of this like DeSantis revoked its special district privileges there are hundreds of special districts in Florida some of the ones I'm from Florida so I know some of these, all right you can talk about this these <laughs> yeah thank you I'm qualified but one covers the villages, which is this gigantic senior living facility that sprawls in the in the northwest of Orlando. And then also Daytona International Speedway in the surrounding area is a special district. Yeah. So it's DeSantis was like, we, sh we need to revoke this. Like, it's been a kingdom within the middle of New York. There's kingdoms all over New York, not just at Disney you World. Florida? So. Oh, sorry. Florida. <laughs> Florida. Thank you. Thank you for, for catching and me. And then also the personalities here are wild. You have DeSantis, who's probably running for president. And then Bob Iger, who's this, like, Savage. king. He's this, like, corporate king. And yeah. he's a stone cone killer. I know. He wakes up at 4.15 a.m. every morning, does the Versa Climber. That is, like, the hardest workout. I do not want to mess with anyone. <laughs> who does something like that so petty feud but tons of headlines yeah billions of dollars at stake for sure. absolutely um all right neil let's talk about those two words that i mentioned at the beginning of the show which is go nicks i mean just kidding it's debt ceiling 
you really are embracing your New Yorkness for I the know, last 30 seriously. seconds. It's New York, baby. Um, so yesterday, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy rounded up just enough votes from his GOP colleagues to pass a bill through the House to raise the debt ceiling. Unfortunately for McCarthy, there's pretty much no chance that this bill will actually make it through the Democrat-controlled Senate. And if it somehow did, President Biden has pretty much promised to veto it. But just because it won't pass doesn't mean the bill addressing the debt ceiling isn't significant. It's pretty much all we'll be talking about, or at least all Congress will be discussing over the next few months, because if lawmakers don't figure out a way to raise the debt ceiling, the U.S. government could default on its debts which would be pretty catastrophic. But, but Neil, take us through yeah. exactly what the debt ceiling actually is. I mean, it's pretty literal. Uh, it is the cap on the amount of the, the, that the federal government can borrow to meet its existing obligations. Uh, it's been around since 1917, near the end of World War I, when Congress passed a law that said it. And every so often, every couple of years, we do the same exact thing where we're like, all right, we're, we're borrowing a little bit more. You know, the economy is growing. We need to borrow a little bit more. We're running out of deficit. Let's raise the debt ceiling. And it's always this like political brawl. And we went through this in the Obama years. We went through this in the Trump years. And now we're doing this in the Biden years. It's a little more complicated now because we have the divided Congress and they they need to figure something out together, which is never a <laughs> yeah, good an, sign. An easy thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely like a political football that gets oh. passed back and forth because what you can do when you have this bill that needs to be passed, both sides want to stuff it with things that advance their agenda. So Republicans are definitely trying to pack it. This this current iteration of the bill is packed with stuff that yeah. reduces spending. Uh, yeah, like, re like rescinds the energy tax credits of the Inflation Reduction Act, removes that, you know, $80 billion in funding that we gave the IRS and puts more restrictions on food stamps. And dem Democrats are like, I absolutely won't do this. But it's a total staring contest. Right. It's like a total game of chicken. Yeah. Somebody's got to blink or our economy is going to implode. I know. That, that is the thing. So I actually did some research. And the wow. U.S. has never, <laughs> never reached the point of a default where the Treasury was incapable of paying U.S. debt obligations. It, it was very close one time. And there was one exception. And that was during the War of 1812 when parts of Washington, D.C. I remember that. And, yep. the, and the Treasury were burned. So this, <laughs> this truly goes to show, like, the U.S. does not default on its debt. It, it, it pretty much cannot because the entire world economy runs on the idea that U.S. debt is this A++, like, risk-free collateral. So, yes, you were right. totally right. The stakes are very high. But anyone who's defaulted knows that once you default, it's really bad because they jack up interest rates for you. They downgrade your credit yep. rating. And then it raises the cost of borrowing in perpetuity. And that's exactly what Janet Yellen said. She said a default on our debt would produce an economic and financial catastrophe and raising the raise the cost of borrowing for the U.S. into perpetuity. So, yeah, Let's just like just like out. we don't want to default on our credit card bill. The U.S. can't do it, but the stakes are in the trillions of dollars. <laughs> Much higher. Um, all right, Neil, before we jump into our next story, we're going to take a quick break. So we know that Disney and DeSantis are feuding hard, as are Republicans and Democrats over the debt ceiling. But two other former adversaries are now in their enemies to lover arc. Microsoft and Apple are once again playing nice in the sandbox. And by that, I mean yesterday, the two companies worked out a deal that allows Apple users to access iMessage on Windows computers. So now if you own a Microsoft PC and an iPhone, you'll finally be able to text people off of that computer and receive and make phone calls and FaceTimes from your computer. So, Neil, this seems like a classic win-win for both companies, yeah. but I'm curious to hear who you think this benefits the most. 
Oh, God. I don't know. Windows? Here's what I think. Yeah, you clearly have an opinion. It's the biggest deal for workers, corporate workers, who clearly have an iPhone. Oh, I was going to say. But they want to text off their work computers, and so finally they have the ability. They don't have to pull their iPhone out during a meeting. They can text. No, totally. Oh, I was going to say, like, people with Windows. Yeah, like iPhone users. That's the biggest win. I mean, everyone I know texts with their computer now. (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, I do. I actually have the opposite, because I have an Android phone and a Mac computer, and so my texting is really janky, which it also seems like this this link what's it what's this program called like link windows link or apple link or something yeah um something link. it's gonna be very basic right there's it's, no photo sharing it's bare bones yeah no group chats no photos or videos and the conversation history does not extend beyond the current chat session so you cannot go back through your messages mm-hmm. you can only live in the moment which might be a good thing also here's the funny part all messages appear as gray bubbles in the phone link app, meaning that you won't be able to know if the people texting you are weird green bubble people or blue bubble people. So maybe it's good for you because you're, <laughs> you're a green bubble guy. But yeah, I think that's so funny that Microsoft's like, listen, we're not wading into the blue versus green bubble debate. Everything's gray. Yeah, but this is great for people at work. Right. Because who's going to, you know, you're looking... You know, you're texting on your phone. It looks really bad. But if you're just hard at work at your computer, you know, typing away, you could be either texting or you could be working, but probably you're texting. Yes. Um, but we should go, like there's a really interesting history of Apple and Microsoft. They've, they've been kind of like oscillating between friends and enemies. The most interesting thing was in 1997, Apple was in a really bad spot. Steve Jobs just came back to the company and Microsoft kind of helped it out. And Jobs announced this partnership at the Macworld Expo, which was their big keynote address. And everyone booed him. (laughs) (laughs) And and then so then Microsoft made Office for Mac, obviously. And then it actually invested one hundred fifty million dollars into Apple. And Bill Gates was like, I'm I'm super pumped about like this ecosystem that we're building. And then recently, Tim Cook said Apple and Microsoft still compete today. But frankly, Apple and Microsoft can partner on more things than we could compete on. Yeah. And that's what the customer wants. And I feel like that's exactly what this R- right. link thing is doing. For sure. And honestly, I do think they aren't necessarily like the biggest competitor no. now. Like Microsoft's probably more of a competitor with like Google and Amazon at this point from the cloud infrastructure perspective. They've gone after totally different. Like Microsoft's obviously gone after businesses and corporate. Yeah. Uh, Apple is more towards general consumers. So, yeah, they're they're enemies to lovers to enemies to lovers, but I think they're more of lovers right now. And this is one where the consumer wins. Um, let's go to Neil's numbers, the segment where I share three interesting numbers that I read from the week's news. The first one is, in addition to being one of the best frontmen in music history, I think that is without a doubt, Freddie Mercury of Queen was a prolific art collector, and his friend has begun the process of auctioning off the 1,500 items he hoarded at Sotheby's that in the fall. They're expected to bring in at least $7.4 million. Here are a few of the items I'm excited about. The original handwritten lyrics to We Are the Champions. $250,000 starting price. Feels like a bargain. We should save up. Feels a total bargain. Yeah. There's the red crown and cloak he wore during the finale of God Save the Queen during the last Queen tour in, or his last tour with the band in 1986. And then there's this tiny little Tiffany mustache comb, which I didn't know existed before this, but I, 
If you're Freddie Mercury, you absolutely need a mustache comb. That is going for just $500. I don't think I'm going to be bidding on that, unfortunately. No, you have no facial hair. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't get the mustache. So, so while this is, apparently he was an amazing art collector, had incredible taste, which is not a surprise. But to compare it to other estate sales by, you know, British rock legends, this is kind of a small one. So David Bowie's in 2016 went for $41.1 million. And then Elton John way back in 1986 or something went for 8.2 million. I, yeah, my initial reaction was these numbers feel low because Freddie Mercury's state is supposed to be at least 7.4. I do think though the language is at least, so I think oh, it yeah. will grow because those items seem awesome and like people love Queen. Like we just had that movie come out a couple years ago. Like he's back in like the collective public eye. So I think those lyrics are going to sell for a lot more than 250,000. Yeah, there's one for an unseen one of Killer Queen too. Ooh. Epic song. All right. Second number. More women now run companies in the S&P 500 than men named John do. (laughs) And that may seem like a very low bar or weird comparison, but it has been used since 2015 when the New York Times discovered that fewer women ran big companies than men named John. So Bloomberg ran another analysis to see if this was still true. And fortunately, it is not. So score one small point for gender equality, I guess. But in general, there is little less overlap in names in general uh, among the S&P 500 CEOs. Not only are there more women now, but there are fewer Johns. 186 CEOs of S&P 500 companies have unique names. So up from 133 in 2015, people say that's because there's fewer biblical names like John and Matthew. And there's a rise in number of immigrants who have come to lead the U.S.'s biggest companies. I love data, man. Like that is such a good stat that there's, there's less Johns. And I also love that they delineated between J-O-N and J-O-H-N. Oh. They, they did combine the two, but I love mm. that they broke down the data a little bit between those two. Just an absurd stat that that was ever true at all, but glad it's changed. Yeah, I don't think it'll go back to the way it was. In general, though, women make up 8% of S&P 500 CEOs, so very low share. Long way to go. Compared to their overall population of more than half the United States. All right, our final number I am ready to hand out the award for the overachiever of the century. I don't think this can be matched. He's a 16-year-old college or high school student in Louisiana named Dennis Barnes, and he's been applying to a lot of colleges like any senior in high school. But by a lot of colleges, I mean 200, and he's been accepted to 125 and received scholarships totaling more than $9 million. That would be a new record if he hits his goal of $10 million, and I'm sure he will. Uh, his resume, honestly, pretty solid, pretty solid. GPA of 4.98, we like that. Holds leadership positions in the National Honor Society and is fluent in Spanish. <laughs> Wait, first of all, 4.98, I, I swear we're going through great inflation. Well, if point. you take like an honors class or an AP, AP class, I think yeah. it could go up to five. Wow. Okay, 200 applications <laughs> to colleges. He's got to be using some sort of AI, right, to help with the college, af- the essay process because holy moly. But, I mean, good for him. He, he said it wasn't even that hard. He's like, I just did it over a long period of time. Right. So, so it is hard because you have to have stamina. So he'll figure, he'll figure out where he's going on May 2nd in I like hope a he, national science Yeah, day. I hope he picks a hat, but he has 125 of them <laughs> laid out and then picks a hat. Good for you, Dennis. 
Our final story. So I kind of called this, but with all the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and concerts going on right now, I was worried about arena schedulers <laughs> and how they were going to manage it, and it looks like they haven't. So a Janet Jackson concert scheduled for tonight in Atlanta had to be moved after State Farm Arena double-booked itself with that concert in the Hawks-Celtics game tonight. Uh, actually, it would have been fine if Trey Young hadn't hit that miracle three to extend the series and move it back to Atlanta. Billy Joel also had to push his concert at Madison Square Garden because of the Knicks and Rangers games. Anyway, this all speaks to the crazy logistics that are going on of tr transforming arenas that are home to multiple playoff teams at once. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think it's hilarious that Atlanta double booked it because it just goes to show how much, how little faith they had. Same with the Knicks. But yeah, obviously the crown jewel of this arena switching is uh, the former Staples Center, which is now Crypto.com Arena, which is home to the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Kings, which is the hockey team. So just an absolutely absurd logistics puzzle that they do constantly. Yeah. They're, they, they've done 251 midday conversion in the history yeah. of, of the arena. And the most recent one was on Saturday where they had, well, last weekend was crazy, that 36 hours, because they had a Kings game at 7, they had the Clippers game in the afternoon, and then a Lakers game later that night. And then they had to go back to the Kings. And then they had to go back to the Kings. That. Crazy, yeah. So really impressive job by all of the arena switchers over there. And I think as we move on to the second round of the playoffs, it'll calm down a little bit. But we have to talk about, tomorrow night in Atlanta. I'm ready to book my ticket because there's Janet Jackson and Taylor Swift is coming to town. Taylor Swift is going to Mercedes-Benz right. Stadium. The which football is stadium. The football and the soccer and the soccer stadium, Neil. <laughs> okay. But the traffic in Atlanta is going to be a disaster because the concerts are starting around the same time. At least 90,000 people are going to be converging on, on the stadiums at the same time. So... I don't know what the public transport system in Atlanta is like. I don't think it's going to stand up pretty well to that, but... Whew. Prayers up for Atlanta traffic right now. All right, Toby, uh, that is our show. Great job on your first day of blondness. It, it's going to be a vibe going forward. It's going to be a vibe. You're going to be always getting, what? You're going to be getting summer vibes from us going forward. You can always reach us at Morning Brew Daily at MorningBrew.com. Thanks to everyone in our control room who helped the show happen. Uh, the show's producer and editor is Emily Milliron. Our technical director is Uchenoa Ogu. Sam Velez and Raymond Liu are our APs. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup took one look at Toby this morning and then quit. <laughs> Devin Emery is our chief content officer. Our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.